we're in this series, Spiritual Senses, and I kind of just prayed through them, and I did that last week as well, but today we're talking about the sense of smell, and I decided I wanted to kind of hit on this Sunday this idea of, of, of smell. Last week I quoted from the New York Times uh, uh, paper where they were talking about an exhibition that they were having on the senses and the subtitle was a provocative exhibition asked visitors to focus on senses other than sight. So we become very focused. It says this article says studies show that people tend to use primarily one physical sense. It's sight. Humans have relied on sight more than any other. We apparently have the same number of genes for detecting smell as other primates, but half of them, through lack of use, have stopped functioning. It would be as if, well, I remember my, my, my wife's um, father, who um, was a dairy farmer, would go out before they had all the phones, and you could check the weather all the time, and he would say things like, it smells like rain, and I'm going, What? He actually had senses sharpened that I didn't have. This article says, vision is most external, remote from us. By contrast, sounds vibrate in us. Smells inhabit us so that you can remember the smell and that place or person. Some of you can actually remember the smell maybe of your mother or when she was cooking or baking something or the fragrance she'd wear, things such as that. In the Old Testament, the sense of smell was an important part of the whole worship experience. We don't have that. You might get that if you go to some like Roman Catholic churches where you still have the incense, this whole idea of incense being the, the prayers going up before God. Well, that didn't just happen there. It goes way back into the history of the Old Testament. In fact, they uh, would use anointing oil specifically so the whole place of the temple worship would smell good would allow people when they would sense or be out and smell that. Because in, in those cultures in that day, there were a lot of smells that were not too good. They didn't have, you know, your underarm stuff and all the other kind of things. You didn't just go and get up in the morning, take a shower. So smell was very important, and they would smell the fragrance. It says in, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 25, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices. I just think it's interesting that God would be concerned about this. 500 shekels, or about 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, half as much, about 250 shekels, or six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, the same amount of shekels for fragrant calamus, 500 shekels or 12 and a half pounds of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hin or gallon of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing or a fragrant blend. And catch this, the work of a perfumer. There was a trade, a craft, of someone who would create the perfumes. It will be the sacred anointing oil. So there's a sense that when you come into this place and you leave it and when you smell, that fragrance will remind you of God, his purposes, his desires. So I was preparing this message thinking about it a number of months or so ago and as if I think just even a few weeks back I thought, boy, I know of someone in our church and, and I thought, 
you know what? Fragrance is really cool. And, and so in a moment, I'm going to ask Diane Wissick to come up, who she has a, uh, a, a European boutique uh, perfumery. Um, but I was thinking, instead of the old, you know, flowers to give out, let's just give out a bottle of perfume to moms, right? And I looked around in the catalog and, saw, and found Clive Christian Number 1 Imperial Majesty perfume. This enchanting, sophisticated fragrance for women is created by a combination of ingredients. Tahitian vanilla, ylang-ylang, rosa centrifalis, Italian cinnamon, jasmine, Oris root and rose oil. And we were able, it actually normally sells for $12,720 per ounce. <laughs> Thank God we're having a good year and they gave us a break of 12000 per ounce. So as you are leaving, <laughs> we and myself and the worship planning team thought this would be a good gift to give, but our finance commission thought no. <laughs> so you can blame them. You're going to get carnations, mom, as you leave today. Try and smell those. Anyway. As I read about these different fra- references to fragrances and perfumes and pleasing aromas and sweet-smelling uh, um, incense, I thought I'd have Diane Wissick come up and just share a little bit because I met with her and she shared some things that were really rather enlightening to me. And back in 2003, you guys began this family-owned boutique, La Petite Parfumeries, down in Wyzetta on Lake Street. And uh, je m'appelle Kevin Maillet, collectez-vous, that's all the French I know. Um, Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I should get you a mic. That might be helpful. Um, so what I wanted to do is just ask you, you started this. Why did you start it? Well, it all started when Jay and I went to uh, Paris maybe 20 years ago, and we saw these beautiful perfumeries and how beautiful the perfumes were compared to maybe something that we have in our stores today. So we, uh, and then we drove down to Provence and went through a lot of the factories and had tours and even got to go into one of the labs where they make perfumes there and met the, what we call the nose. And Lenoy, the Lenoy. work of a perfumer, right? <laughs> yes. That what you would find in the Old Testament. Yep. Yes, and so that's kind of where it started. And then also, um, not long after that, I went to Israel and um, I really smelled wild sweet peas that I, that I got a whiff of and and even going down by the Sea of Galilee, walking down the hill, I realized the Lord was impressing on me that I, I, I really love and have a great passion for fragrances. Wow. So, so I went to the Dead Sea and did that same walk and never had that happen to okay. me. So God does speak to us in different ways. Either that or my spiritual sense of the hearing were not real good. But you had said something to me that a lot of people say they can't wear perfume or they don't like perfume or are offended by it or things like that. And then you made a comment and I wasn't even aware of this. Well, today most um, perfumes in our department stores are made from synthetics. They were invented in the 80s and gradually over the years everything has been reformulated to keep the prices low and so it's uh, affordable for everyone. And But the real oils have become more valuable. And the ones that are from plants and flowers, trees and herbs. And so those you can still get in France. And so that's what we so you, bring So I'm getting it. that designer kind of really low cost. That, that's not, that's synthetic and artificial. Right. 
And those are the things that really are somewhat causing allergies and other things to people. Right. And you don't sometimes don't want to, um, you don't know that you're offending people because you've worn that scent for many years and your brain memorizes it after about three months. So you tend to wear more and more. And okay. so, you know, you have to have a little wardrobe of fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> so what I find is interesting when I was talking to you about it, you said they, they take actually tons of flower petals to distill just a few ounces of natural perfuming oil. And that is one of the reasons why it costs so much. And if you read in scripture, you'll find different places um, where it will talk about this. Like in John 12, chapter 12, verse 3, it records how Mary took about a pint, which is a half liter of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mm-hmm. That was real spike nard, and it's uh, very rare to even find today. It's a root, and it's it smells very earthy and spicy, so that's what she washed Jesus' feet with. Very valuable. So I, I spent, as you know, on my work time, a whole lot of time just listening to all this stuff. <laughs> It's amazing. It is. Really. But what it hit me was how important the natural, the real, the genuine was. How costly it was compared to the synthetic, the artificial, and those things that weren't real. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I so appreciate you. it, Diane. Thanks. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because you read through the Old Testament, you can find a number of references around this. And, and what you find in the Old Testament is God is looking for lives that are genuine and real in relationship to him and relationship to other people. And, and God so desires for our lives to be a kind of sacrifice where our lives begin to kind of have a fragrance, an aroma that kind of has that ability to inhabit places we are and people. And they're reminded. It says in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 through 21, one of the first references to this whole idea of, idea of fragrance. It says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds because he was so grateful for God's provision and saving him and, and his family and bringing him to this new place where he was going to create and, and do, in a sense, a do-over, which, you know, we all need do-overs, and God is the God of do-overs. And he says that he sacrificed burnt offerings on it, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, it may not be a metaphorical, or it could be metaphorical, it could be literally, when you think about the fact that we have a spirit that has senses, and Jesus would say, those of you who have ears to hear, he wasn't talking about physical ears. When the prophet at one point said, God, would you open the eyes of my servant next to me that he might see? These weren't physical eyes, these were spiritual eyes to see the army of angels around him. That when the woman touched Jesus, just a hem of his garment, he says, who touched me? And power was flowing through his body. It wasn't the physical touch on his body, but the spiritual sense. So there is maybe a sense that there truly are spiritual senses. That just as you wake up physically in the morning, I think God might be calling you to be awake spiritually. God is a spirit. We're told that Noah's act of love and commitment just smelled really good to God. It inhabited the being of God. 
like a pleasing aroma. You go into Leviticus, and, and you can just read through this, this book of Leviticus, which is a, a number of laws, and the whole idea as you go through it is there are sacrifices, beginning right from the very first chapter. And God is instructing, encouraging them to do these different sacrifices. He's giving guidelines to Leviticus on these sacrifices and the purpose of it. We get caught up in the specifics and we lose, you know, in a sense, the, the bigger picture. But the whole purpose, when you go through and you look at all the sacrifices, they were to maintain a healthy community. They were meant to maintain a healthy relationship with God and then also with one another. And so as you go through the different sacrifices, you find that these sacrifices have certain meanings to them. There's these voluntary sacrifices, which he says you don't have to do, but if they come from the heart, because your heart is genuine and motivated by his love for God, there's the ability to express your commitment and thanksgiving to God. Because you just go, thank you, God. You will find the first things you'll see in Leviticus is there are burnt offerings, And burnt offerings are, again, voluntary, just to express a little statement to God, which says, I love you. There were grain offerings. Grain offerings were brought to recognize the goodness of God, his provision. Because you did some work and you planted and yet you prayed and God sent rain. He caused it to grow and it brought forth fruit and you just said, God, I want to give you something back to let you know how much I am so grateful for your goodness. Fellowship offerings were just offerings that were just a general sense of giving thanks when something happened in your life. My dad, when he was a pastor, he would go around to the adult classes and he had a thing called the blessing basket. He'd walk into the class and everyone would know what was happening. He would have found out the week prior that someone had a blessing, like they got a new car or they, you know, got a raise or whatever it would be, and he would come in and go, well, I hear there's someone else. I mean, he'd look for the person and he would make them pay. So everybody would come with some cash in their pockets just to say thanks. There's mandatory offerings as you go through Leviticus. There's one that's called a sin offering. Because in life, We do wrong things. Sin and selfishness seems to operate from our heart. And God made a provision so that we could bring a offering, especially in this Old Testament, a sin offering, so they could know that he was a God of forgiveness. But he wanted to teach them how important, when their heart's defiled or they've been defiled, how important it is to stay in right relationship with him and one another. And then there were these mandatory guilt offerings. Offerings that were given to make restitution. You think about this. You see, get lost in the, in the weeds of it, but you pull back and you think about all these sacrifices, which, when they're done with a sincere and genuine heart, Leviticus states that to God, he says this in chapter 1, verse 9, 2, verse 3, 3, verse 5, 4, verse 31, 6, verse 15, and other places as well, they are an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. You know, worshiping God in the Old Testament was to be an intoxicating sensory experience. 
where they would go in and they would, they would smell the incense and the anointing oils, all these things that are going up in prayer to God. And yet they would come in and they would, they would hear the bleeding of the sheep and they would, they would feel and touch that lamb as they would move it along. They would, they would smell the sacrifice of this, um, lamb chops or, or beef steaks or whatever they are wafting in the air. And you have this incredible sensory experience. Where God is saying, through all these things you're doing, your life is meant to be a fragrance that is an aroma that goes in and through you and inhabits the lives of others and they go, wow, God's in you or or God's in this or this God. And I come with genuine worship and genuine thanksgiving and I, I, I set aside time on a weekly basis and just say, I come here before you and I get up in the morning and, and I go, I'm not just, you know, you try and physically get awake, right? And then you go spiritually. What are you doing to awaken your heart and your spirit so that the senses have the ability to function? Sacrifices without a pure and genuine heart when they are artificial and synthetic, just like in our own culture right now, they almost cause an allergic reaction by God. He, he goes, you know, I'm glad you're here to worship, but if your heart's not in it, I mean, I'm really glad that you're giving money, but if you're doing it for show, for other people to see it, I'm really glad you're reading your Bible, but if you're doing it because you think somehow by reading it, I'm patting you on the back, and you're not understanding that the provision was made on a cross by Jesus, and he loves you and accepts you for who you are, and the rest of your life is to be lived as a grateful demonstration of his love to you. He says when you do this in, in ways in, that are not just unthoughtful, but specifically when you start moving into places where now you're seeking to control and you're seeking to, to manage your life and you're seeking and you're doing things you know are displeasing to God, Isaiah makes this statement. He says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. Don't bring any more of them. I don't want your fattened rams. He's like a really good parent. So moms, think about it for a second. One of the things you want to teach your children is to have a genuine, sincere response, right? So when they do wrong, part of what you're teaching them is the same thing that was taught in the Old Testament. So when, you know, Susie and Billy get in a fight, you say, Billy, you know what? I want you to say you're sorry to your sister. Now, you're not looking for, I'm sorry. But you're looking for it as genuine from the heart. Or when, 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 you know, uh, at their birthday or at a certain special occasion and they get a gift, you're looking for them to say to Aunt Julie, even though Aunt Julie has given them socks and not the thing they care about. You're looking for them to give this genuine expression of thanksgiving. And, and so God is saying, I, 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 that's what I want. Who wants your sacrifices when you have no sorrow for your sins? The incense you bring me is a stench in my nostrils. Your holy celebrations, your special days for fasting, even your most pious meetings are all frauds. I want nothing to do with them. I hate them all. I can't stand the sight of them. And God tells them to quit stretching their hands to heaven in prayer. He says, I won't look and I won't listen. And even though you look religious with all your many prayers, I don't hear them. 
Because look at your hands. They're covered, he says, with innocent blood. You're not living as I intended. And so in chapter 1, verse 16 of Isaiah, he says, wash yourselves, be clean. Let no lo- me no longer see you doing all these wicked things. Quit your evil ways. Because God loves a pure and genuine heart who genuinely loves God and others. A heart that is like a pleasing aroma that inhabits him in the spaces we go. I um, was meeting with Andrea Haveisen, who is our worship and prayer pastor, and she has been um, getting ready to go to South Africa. And she left this last Thursday. Her daughter, Allison, and Allison's husband, Garrett, and their three kids are in South Africa. They left in February, and February uh, they went there to be missionaries. And uh, she went pregnant, Allison did, like about seven months, and I'm thinking, who does that? Kids, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so John and Andrea were planning to be there at the time of the birth. Well, the birth was this Wednesday, just a couple, just a day or so before they were there. And she, Allison, gave birth to by it with a midwife in her bathtub in the bush. And I'm going, wow, okay. Um, But it was really tough for Andrea to see her pregnant daughter leave. But the hardest part for Andrea was seeing her three little grandchildren, who were all under five, go. And she had just become so close, and especially with one Allison. And and so last Tuesday before she went, she was so excited. And so Andrea played for me a tape of a recent phone call from her five-year-old grandchild, Sailor. And I asked if I could play it today. Hi, Grandma and Grandpa. I missed you so much. I, I love you, Nana, Papa, so much. I miss you. Um, I, I love you so much. Please come, come really soon. I love you so, so, so much. And please come very, very soon. I love you. What are you going to do with them when they come? I want to go, go to a play area with you and, 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 and just do it me time. Um, and, I was really moved by that. And I think particularly because I was preparing this message. And I thought, so cool. Parents, just to hear that little voice, and here's a voice, can't even give you the vocabulary, you know, in her mind. Probably trying to think, what? How do I express how much I love you? And just keep saying, "I love you." And they just say, "How our Father just wants that." Just He doesn't. I don't think He's into all kinds of thrills and frills. I think He just wants genuine love that's motivated to love in ways that make a difference in people's lives. I don't know where your heart is, but I'm just going to close with three things that you find in Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. There's a number of other passages. But uh, Paul reaches back to the sense of smell that the Old Testament followers were aware of. And he has said, actually, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, um, Therefore, because of God's mercy, his incredible 
gift of his love towards you, how he's given you do-overs, how he wants to be in your life, how he wants to relate to you, how he wants to provide for you, who wants to be faithful to you, how he wants to lead you, how he has a plan for you, all these things. Because of all this, would you offer your life, not as a synthetic artificial, but a genuine sacrifice and give it to God and say, God, here's my life. And so in Ephesians, Paul is kind of responding to this again, and he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If I were to paraphrase it, I'd say, watch what God does and then do it. Be like a little child who learns proper behavior from their parent. Build a deep relationship with God and learn a life of love. And if you want to imitate God, just look at Jesus. Note how Jesus loved us. He loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Basically, love smells good to God. And those kind of loving sacrifices leave a fragrance. And in this passage specifically, there are three things. One is forgiveness. He just says, forgive. Just prior to that, in Ephesians chapter 4, 30 through 32, here's one of the ways you can leave a fragrance. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Here's how you live this kind of life. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It, it, forgiveness is one of the most sweet-smelling aromas that we see. I was reading this past uh, few months, I've been reading a book by a guy named Jordan Peterson, who's got a bestseller called 12 Rules for Life. And he's a professor at, was at Harvard, now at University of Toronto, he's a clinical psychologist, and he tells a story about a guy named Chris. Chris was a childhood friend, and Chris had lost his way, and Chris was filled with resentment and kept growing. And so he had parted ways at one point, and Chris, at a later point, came back in his life, and he was in a sorry state. And resentment even held him tighter, and Chris needed help, and so so Jordan reached out to him, he gave him a room to stay, he, he provided for him, he helped him, and he just said the vice of this resentment was getting greater and greater. And here's what he says, this is interesting. Chris had a bitter odor. He showered frequently, but the towels and the sheets picked up the smell. It was possible to get them clean, it was impossible. It was a byproduct of a psyche and a body that did not operate harmoniously. And so he comments that he talked to a social worker that he knew and told him about Chris, and, 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 and she said, I, I'm familiar with that odor. Everyone at our workplace knows of it, although we only discuss it in hushed tones, and she said they gave it a name for it. And I thought to myself, isn't it interesting, if there isn't, maybe there isn't a physical, but what if there is in our spirit this sense that when we hold on to bitterness, we begin to die inside, and that dying because of our unforgiveness kind of decays, and there's a stench, and, and we might even realize it, but he even says that. Just... Don't let the stench of unforgiveness hold in your life. There's another thing he says, and that is about, he talks about um, thoughtful gifts. 
The gift of Jesus was this incredibly thoughtful gift at reaching to our deepest needs. And, and Paul, at one point in Philippi, he thanks the church of Philippi in Philippians 4.18. Listen to what he says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Just a simple, practical way. Think about it. You can give in a loving way to someone who's in need. You don't need to have material gifts necessarily. Giving is about knowing the person and understanding their need. And it may be something you give. It may be words you speak. It may be merely your presence. But it says to the person, I understand you and I get you and I care about you. There may be someone around you that God says, I want you to leave the fragrance of a thoughtful gift. And the last thing he says, it's like humble service. You know, the whole life of love is one that just says, God, how can I humbly serve you? Where I go, can I be used of you to leave the fragrance and aroma of Christ? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And Paul basically makes reference again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, these verses. He says, thanks be to God who makes us captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a fragrance. President Woodrow Wilson told this story. He said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. He just noticed this relationship and this kindness. And, and before I got through, Wilson said, I, I, I got through with what was being done for me, and I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service, he comments. Because next to me was a man named D.L. Moody, who would be a famous evangelist, who would have been like a Billy Graham in that day. And it wasn't, he said, in so much Christian words and things that he's saying. He said just the kindness and the joyfulness and the just the uplifting presence of this guy in the chair next to him had so impacted his life. He said, I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had upon the barbershop. They didn't know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I had left that place as I should have left the place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed that day. We leave a fragrance. And just simple forgiveness, paying attention to the need and giving a thoughtful gift, saying, God, I just want to this day be a humble servant. It's not about me, but it's about you and others. May God teach us to do that together. Let's stand together and close.